If you would take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading with verse 19 in a few moments. There's an old story. You may have heard it. It's about a man who had a dream of hell and heaven. And in his dream about hell, he saw this big, beautiful banquet table. And there were all kinds of food on there, casseroles, soup tureens, all just all marvelous kinds of food. The only problem was the people sitting around the table had big, long spoons fastened to their hands. And they were so long that no matter how they worked their hands, they, couldn't get the, they could get the food up, but then they couldn't get it to their mouths. And they were weeping and crying and starving and miserable. And then he had a dream about heaven. And there was a big, long table that had all kinds of choice food on it. And it had casseroles and soup tureens and just, just marvelous things to eat. And everybody that was sitting around the table had big, long spoons fastened to their hands they couldn't get rid of. And they could scoop up the food, but no matter how they bent their arms, they couldn't feed themselves. But they were all happy and joyous and well-fed and well-nourished and doing well because they were feeding each other. Many times, the Bible reminds us that we are to be meeting the needs of the people around us. You know, Jesus, you know, made that plain. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. You take care of the next person as well as you take care of yourself. When, when the church was having a controversy recorded in Acts chapter 15 about, you know, what, what's kind of the minimum requirements for being a Christian, one of the things they put in was helping those in need, taking care of those in need. And then, you know, you, you, you have people like John that we read a few moments ago when James and other words, and they were saying that, you know, what you do, when, when you see somebody that's hungry, you feed them. In other words, you, you take care of people, you meet their needs, you have an interest in them. Now, when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he was writing to a good church. That was a church that had started on a good foundation, didn't have any heresy in it, but it had some problems. You know, there, there was some, some discord in the church. There, there was some grumbling in the church. There, there was some open conflict between some members in the church. And so, to combat that, he was trying to get them to see, hey, wait a minute, you don't focus on those things. You focus on others, and you look out for the interests of others. Now, remember last week we were talking about uh, how we live out our Christian lives? And we looked in particular at verse 13, which says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And we said, you know, you can see examples of what it means to be a Christian, but until you have God within, until God has changed you, till he gives you strength, then, you know, you can't do this on your own. You, you need to have God within to, to want to do what's right and then to have the power to do it. But, you know, even though we said a good example is not enough, once you have God within, then a good example is good. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, said, 
Do you remember Old Testament Israel when they were going through the wilderness? You know, sometimes they would fall into idolatry and sometimes they would, you know, grumble and complain about everything and sometimes they would try to turn their back on God and not do what He wanted to do and, and they would always get punished for it. Paul said, that happened to be an example to you. And later on he said, I follow the example of Jesus and, and you follow my example. So a good example is beneficial. And in the passage of Scripture today, we're going to look at some examples of what it means to be believers. And those examples are going to be Timothy and a man named Epaphroditus and a man named uh, Paul. Let's look at this passage of Scripture. Philippians 2, beginning with verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him to you as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and it is distressed because he, you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Paul had established the church that was at Philippi. He had had a good ministry there. He went on to other places and established more churches. And then, because the work that he was doing and standing up for the Lord Jesus in the midst of a pagan society, he was arrested, put in prison. So the Philippian church wanted to help him. They thought that much of him. They took an offering, and they got a man named Epaphroditus to take that offering to him. So Epaphroditus came from Philippi to where he was in prison, gave him that money that he needed just to sustain his needs, really became what we might call his personal attendant because that was done in those times for prisoners. And he, he looked after the needs of Paul while he was in prison. Now, then he got sick. Epaphroditus got sick, and the people back at Philippi heard about it, and they were concerned about him. And when Epaphroditus got well, he thought, my, all of my friends and all my church members back at Epaphr in Philippi, they're, they're, they're concerned about me. I need to let them know that I'm okay. And so, you know, Paul said, all right, here's the plan. I'm going to send Epaphroditus back so that they can see that he is fine. And I'm going to send Timothy back so that he can help deal with some of the problems in the church. And I'm hoping that I'm going to get there one of these days, but we don't know how my trial is going to go yet. So he put his plan in action, and he, in doing so, gives us some examples of how we can let God work in us to will and to act according to his good pleasure. 
First of all, there was Timothy. Now, Timothy was unique. Timothy was one of those uh, people that just stood out, you know, because of their devotion to the Lord Jesus. Timothy had grown up with a Christian mother and grandmother. And so the, the Christian morality and teachings shaped his character. He had received Christ as his Savior. He had become acquainted with Paul. Paul took him under wing. Paul, Paul just about, like, it's almost like he adopted him as his son. You know, he felt so close to him. Paul poured his life into him, and Timothy became his companion. He worked with him in a lot of different places. He was there when he wrote some of his letters. Paul sent him to several different places so that he could minister there. And Paul knew that when he sent him, he was going to do just as good a job as Paul himself would have done. Now, why was Timothy so valuable? What can we learn from him? What kind of example did he set for us? There in the last part of verse 20, he says he will take a genuine interest in your welfare. Timothy wasn't one of these people who was just out to win friends and influence people. He wasn't trying to boost himself. He wasn't trying to make sales. He was just interested in people. He loved people. He cared about people. And in doing so, he reflected the Lord Jesus. Aren't you glad that Christ has taken a genuine interest in you as an individual? You ever thought about that? He, Jesus takes a genuine interest in you. You know how sometimes you, you read passages of Scripture, you've read and read and read? In my Bible reading this week, I was reading from 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul is giving instructions on the Lord's Supper. And, and there's a, a part of that that says when Jesus was instituted the Lord's Supper, he took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is for you. And I just felt at that moment when I read that is that he was saying, just for you. you know, personal. God cares for us personally. He takes a genuine interest in us. Christ took a genuine interest in us, and that's why he died on the cross for us. Each one of us. He had that much interest in each one of us. Timothy reflected that. He took a genuine interest in people. But there was something else about him. It says in verse 21 that everybody looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus. But Timothy had a genuine interest in their welfare. He wasn't selfish. He wasn't so busy looking after his own needs, he couldn't look after the needs of others. He was going to be involved with others and help others. And you know, did you notice how Paul put that? said, everyone else looks after his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Boy, isn't it easy to do that, to just look out for ourselves and never stop to think, what am I doing for Christ? What difference is my life making for him? How am I investing my life in his kingdom? We just caught up, get caught up in our own lives. You know, about work, about family, about, you know, some of them, you know, the matter on the job, you know, just, you know, just all sorts of things. And we just don't get interested enough in others. And yet there are people around us who have all sorts of needs. There are people around us who have physical needs. They're, they're, they're sick or hurting in some way. There are people around us who have material needs. They just don't have enough to get by in life. There are people around us who have emotional needs. There are people around us who have spiritual needs. And sometimes, or most of the time, they don't even know they have them. They don't even know they're lost. 
these people need someone to take an interest in them. You know, I read where someone described some church members who come late, sit through the service, never speak to anybody, and hurry out the door, and they called it magnificent uninvolvement. We don't like anything to be magnificently uninvolved. We're supposed to be involved. If we're going to care for people, we've got to be involved with them. We've got to really understand and incorporate how we live, that we are part of the body of Christ. We are the part of the family of God. And so we are involved with one another and others as well as we seek needs and not selfishly look just after our own needs, but look after the things of Christ. And then Timothy was proven. He was proven. He he just had, Paul had counted on him before he had come through. He knew he could count on him again. Don't Don't you like it when your car starts up every time you turn the key? You like a proven car. Uh, don't you like it when the, uh, every time you hit your button on your cell phone, it comes on and ready to go? Don't you like it when you turn on the heater air and the thing operates? It's no fun if it doesn't work, is it? We like things that are proven. Timothy was proven, proven to be interested in others, and, and, and we should be proven proven to be interested in others and being involved with them. He was proven and he was willing to go where he was needed. Paul said, Timothy, I need you to go over there. He went. I need you to go over here. He went. He wasn't looking for prestige. He wasn't looking for power. He wasn't looking for his own glory. He was looking after the things of Christ. And so he just did what God, what God was leading him to do through Paul. And then there was another man who was Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus was uh, an example because if you notice here in verse 25, Paul called him a brother. He was a brother. Now, that's a little bit unusual. Stop and think about it. Paul was a Jew. Epaphroditus was a Gentile. Totally different backgrounds. Paul had grown up hearing about the things of God. He misunderstood what God was doing in Christ, but he knew about the things of God. Epaphroditus, uh, he grew up as a pagan. You know what his name means? Devoted to Aphrodite. You've heard of the Greek goddess Aphrodite? Well, you know, his pagan parents named him after a Greek goddess. Devoted to Epaphrodite, Epaphroditus. So, huge difference in the background, but Paul said, my brother... What had happened? Paul had come to know God as Father through Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus had come to know God as Father through Jesus Christ. Now they were brothers. They had the same Father. We have the same God. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, what are we? We are born again. We are born from above. That means that God Himself, the Creator of all, becomes our Heavenly Father. And it means that we are brothers and sisters to everybody else who accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. So Paul called him brother, called him something else. He called him a companion in labor. Companion in labor. Now, you know, there's some work involved in doing what God wants you to do. There's some work involved in it. It's not easy. 
You know, it's not easy to go to work every day when you've got a job. I mean, there are some days you just as soon sleep late. There are some days you just not soon have to go and contend with some of your coworkers. There are some days that you get up and you think, oh, me, I've got to face this problem on the job today. It's not always easy to carry out your work. It's not always easy to carry out the work of God. But he calls us to do that. He calls us to be a companion in labor. Scripture says that God's word will not return to him void, but somebody's got to put it out there to begin with. It's got to be shared. It takes some work. We are supposed to be God's fellow laborers. And then there's that companionship in work. We don't work alone. We don't have to do all of this thing on our own. We've got brothers and sisters in Christ who help us and support us and pray for us and encourage us. And we do that for each other. And it builds us all up. He was a companion in labor. Scripture says that he was a good soldier. Paul was imprisoned and they were... the. Where he was imprisoned, there were some of the elite soldiers of the Roman Empire there. They were called the Praetorian Guard. And they were the elite soldiers. And Paul, you know, knew what they were like. He called Epaphroditus a soldier. Guess what? We're believers. We're soldiers. We're in a war. There's a war going on between God and Satan. It's the war between light and darkness. It's the war between good and evil. We need to remember that. We are soldiers, and we're supposed to be willing to take a stand for our master. You know, you might think that Paul was the officer. Epaphroditus was the enlisted man. Takes both. They had to work together. They were companionship. And then he was the messenger. He had brought the message from Philippi to Paul. He had, he had told them what was going on in the church. He had shared with them. We are messengers. We have the message of God in Christ, the message of the good news that God made us. He loves us. Though we have sinned, He sent His Son to die for us so that we can be given eternal life and be given that new life that begins now and goes on forever. We've got a wonderful message to share. So Epaphroditus was the things that we are. We're brothers and sisters in the faith. We're companions in labor. We're soldiers of the cross together. We're messengers carrying the good news to others. Now, Paul is also an example. He's an example because he too had concern for others. He was concerned for his friends. He was concerned for Epaphroditus. And he was concerned for the people in the church who were concerned about Epaphroditus. And so he was willing to send him back. Now, think about it. Here was Paul in prison. What, what do you think he would have prayed? What do you think he was wanted? For Pete's sakes, Philippians, send me for some more money and some more people to help me. <laughs> Pray that I'll get out of this place. That's not what he did. He was so concerned about Epaphroditus, he's sending him back. He's, he's, he's wants the church to be helped. He wants Epaphroditus to be helped. He wasn't so focused on his own problems that he couldn't see the needs of others. Sometimes we get so focused on our own problems, we don't see the needs of others. Sometimes our problems might be helped if we get involved with seeing the needs of others. And Paul was concerned for the church. You know, think about it. You're in prison. You got two guys that are there 
giving you some companionship, helping you in some ways, and you're willing to give them up for the good of a church. Sometimes it costs us to be a blessing to the church. Paul set that example for us. It cost him to send Timothy to Philippi. It cost him personally to, to, to send Epaphroditus back. It was going to be, his life was going to be harder because he did that. But he was willing to do it because he too had a genuine interest in others. To be interested in others, you need to look. Look around. Look and see people. See what they're going through. There's an interesting passage in the New Testament where they brought a blind man to Jesus. And Jesus touched his eyes. And he said, what do you see? And the man said, I see people walking around, but they look like trees. In other words, his sight was only half restored. So Jesus touched him again, and then he could see clearly. Do you only half see? You just see people, but they're just things. You aren't really seeing people. We need to let Jesus touch our eyes so that we can look and see people and see where they are and see how they may be hurting or see how they may need somebody to rejoice with them. We need to look. We need to listen. We need to listen. There's an old story about Franklin Roosevelt that uh, he would, was greeting people in the White House one day and all sorts of people were coming by and speaking to them and he decided that people never listen to what you say. And so he decided that that day when people would come up and speak to them, you know, a whole line of people, they were coming by, good morning, Mr. President, how are you? You know, he, he would go, go in to say, I murdered my mother this morning. And he said, everybody said, wonderful, I hope you have a good day. You know, it just went on and on and on, except for the French ambassador. And since he had a little bit of trouble with English, he was listening. And he said, well, I suppose she deserved it. Do you listen? Do you really listen to what people are saying? We need to listen so that we can pick up, maybe listen beyond their words to see what's really going on with them. We will if we've got a genuine interest in them. And then we need to understand lostness. We need to understand lostness. Sometimes we forget that people who don't know Jesus are lost. That means they're going to a place where Jesus described it as fire, where there's weeping, where there's gnashing of teeth, place of darkness, place of death, a second death, as the Bible calls it. And they're going to miss out on heaven and seeing the glory of God. And, and seeing, seeing all of the people that they've known in Christ that know the Lord Jesus as well. And having the part in that great reunion and being able to rejoice forever in the presence of God. They're going to miss out on that. We, if we're going to be concerned for people, need to understand lostness and be concerned enough to share with them in some way so that they will get to experience the same eternity of glory that we will. We need to respond to needs if we're going to be genuinely interested in people. Give a word of encouragement. Build people up. Think what you can say to them that will help them instead of tear them down. People get torn down enough. 
provide food or clothes if they need food or clothes. Well, some people just need the necessities of life, and we can help with that. You may say, hey, maybe you need help in this way. Let me refer to you to a professional, social worker, a doctor, or whatever. If they've got a spiritual need, share your story. Give a Bible. Share a tract. Pray for them. Do something so that they will come to the place where they know, hey, somebody cares enough about me to share with me about things that are going to matter for all eternity. Support missions and missionaries. You know, that's what the church at Philippi was doing. They were supporting Paul in the midst of his missionary work. And we're to do that. We've had the opportunity to do that over the past few weeks with missionaries here in our state and the work here in our state. Coming up will be uh, Lottie Moon at Christmas. Plan ahead now how you can give and give generously. Support them with your gifts. Support them with your prayers. Honor Christian workers. Have you ever let your Sunday school teacher know, hey, I appreciate you, you know, for preparing every week and sharing with us every week? What about you know, the you know, people that work with the children, your children? Do you thank them? Do, do, do you honor those who have invested their life in the, in the work of God? You've got a new pastor coming soon. I hope that you will honor him. Honor him for who he is as an individual. Honor him for who he is as your pastor. You know, that's, that's part of taking an interest in people. Seeking to build them up and support them and pray for him. I tell you what, this is a praying church. And I can tell it every time I get up here to preach. Keep it up. Dal needs it too. And he'll be blessed just as I've been and as your former pastor has been. As you keep him undergirded with your prayers. And then risk. Risk. Paul took a risk when he decided that he was going to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus told him up front, I'm going to send you and it's going to be hard. You're going to suffer for me. And he did it anyhow. He risked for Jesus. Paphroditus left the church he knew, went and stayed with Paul. Paul was a prisoner. Well, was he a felon too to be hanging around this Paul all the time? Epaphroditus risked his life. Risked his life. Almost died because he was doing what felt God wanted him to do and take a genuine interest in others. Timothy risked. He risked going wherever he was sent. Yeah, man, he didn't know the situation he was going to encounter before he got there, but, but he did it. He was willing to risk. Where does all that come from? You remember we've said again and again, chapter 2, 5 through 11, you've got a picture of Jesus. You've got a picture of Jesus. And what does it say? Even though he was in the very nature of God, even though he dwelled in heaven, even though he was praised by the angels, he risked it and left heaven. And he risked coming to earth. And he risked being a servant. And he risked going to the cross. He risked dying. And what happened? Therefore, 
God exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. And every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to fess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Why? Because he took the gamble. When you are invited to follow Christ, you're being invited to gamble. You're being invited to risk your whole life on Jesus Christ. It's a gamble. But you do it with the belief that, like he did with Jesus, gave him a name that's above every name. So he's going to meet our needs, he's going to give us strength, and he's going to see us through. Maybe this morning, you need to take that risk. Maybe this morning, you need to gamble your life on Jesus and decide that you're going to follow him. You're going to receive him as Savior. You're going to risk standing in front of the church. You're going to risk being baptized to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm not ashamed of it. Are you ready to gamble on Jesus? Maybe you're a church member, and you've been pulling back a little bit. You haven't been risking yourself to meet the needs of others. It's a gamble. Sometimes it doesn't always pay off right away. But you're not going to lose your reward when you help somebody else out in Jesus' name. Are you willing to gamble a little more? Put forth a little more effort. Labor a little more. Be a better soldier of the cross to minister in Jesus' name. Maybe you need to come and rededicate yourself that today. Maybe because God is calling you to do so, you'll risk being a member of this church and say, I'm going to live among these people. I don't know all of them, but I'm going to be a member here and I'm going to help them. I want to invest myself here and help this church to be all God wants it to be. We've got some examples set for us. Timothy, Epaphroditus, Paul, most of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the, the examples they set for us was a willingness to risk. If you got the courage to risk for Christ today. Our invitation hymn is 437.